Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. Better roads. That's great. Uh, he just wanted some attention back there. That's what it was. Or maybe not. So, uh, I'm up to chapters, chapter 5. I may get to chapter 6 if, uh, if I talk really fast. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 5. So this chapter introduces uh, uh, a section of Paul's letter on the need for the church to be more sensitive about its witness to the world, about how it um, portrays its service to God to the world. Um, Paul knew, just like we do today, that the greatest witness to the world is the change that comes about in our life because of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ becomes Lord of our life, there should be a change. It should be visible. It should be really noticeable. It should be like, like uh, I know this guy, I've known this guy for years, and, uh, and there were times when uh, he was really kind of a nasty guy, but he's different. Something's changed. It should be like that. It should be like what happened kind of a change. And that's what Paul is talking about uh, with the Corinthians here. Paul knew then, just like now, that the world looks at Christians looking for some reason to discredit them. The world is looking for something to say, ah, but look, there you are, right there. You are a hypocrite. And you know what? We are. We are hypocrites. But we're trying to let the Lord have better and more control over us so that we're not. And we need to be aware of that. When the Holy Spirit convicts us of something, we feel guilty about whatever it is we're doing or not doing, as the case may be, we need to pay attention to that. Because God is talking to us through the Holy Spirit. He's directing us. He's teaching us to be more like Christ. Paul felt that he had to encourage the Corinthians to have a clearer boundary between their life as Christians and the pagan world. The pagan world had had this wide area, you know, where it was just fine to live like this, and Christians should fit into a tighter boundary where there are some things that just are not acceptable. We just don't do that. Not because we're legalistic, not because we're following laws, but because the Holy Spirit has convicted us that we should not be doing those things. So... Paul wrote to the Corinthian Christians about their attitude. Uh, there was a case of incest that was a problem, and there was situations where things were dragging, being drugged into court, and uh, it was not a good witness to the world. And those things are all clearly, in Paul's letter, they're clearly written to the Corinthians. Keep in mind, this was a real letter. This was a real church. This church had these real problems. Paul was writing to them. But the overall general uh, 
topic, the topics generally, they still speak to us today because these are people problems. These are problems that we have because we're people. Doesn't change. Time doesn't change that. So 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 13. Immorality of such a kind does not even exist among the Gentiles that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged him who has committed this as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast with an old leaven, nor with the with the uh, loaves or with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not mean with the immoral people of this world, or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what I have to do with judging outsiders, do you not judge those who are within the church? Lord God Almighty, we thank you for your word that lives on down through the ages, that speaks to us today. Father, we pray that we could focus our heart upon your word and that it would speak to us and that it would be alive for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Paul moves from the problems of divisions that he had previously been talking about to the Corinthians, and he brings up several moral issues. The first one that he confronts for the Corinthians is a case of flagrant immorality within the church. It was a church brother who was committing this. Apparently, this had been going on for some time. It was common knowledge, and Paul is pointing out, he was saying, you know, this kind of action was not even acceptable in Jewish law, and it was not even acceptable to among the pagans. Why are you allowing this to go on? Why are you allowing somebody to be behaving this way, you know, in their daily life? And then they are coming and gathering as the church, and they're acting like there's nothing wrong. They're acting like there's no problem. And not only that, but you all know about it, and nobody's confronting him. Nobody is telling him, look, this is unacceptable. And this was Paul's problem with that. Um, the church had, the church was crippled in its ability to recognize its problems. It had allowed so many boundaries to be crossed. It had allowed that line between the pagan world and the Christian world world 
to become so blurred that they couldn't even tell. They couldn't even tell that there was a problem going on. Not only that, they couldn't deal with it. You know, it's not acceptable if there's a problem like that going on for it to be ignored by your church leadership or by where were this guy's friends? Where were the people who were living with him who were were walking this Christian life and they didn't say anything? They didn't say, dude, what are you doing? Because it was common knowledge. And when something like that, something, you know, anything becomes common knowledge, who also hears about it? It doesn't stay just within the church. It's everywhere. It's in the community. The community knows about it. Everybody talks. Everybody talks, and and they're talking about, oh, this guy that's doing this, and apparently it's okay, and he's supposed to be a Christian, you know, he's upholding all these high moral values, and yet this is going on. Where's our witness? Where's our witness for Christ? It just, it's, it's, uh, it's not something that reflects good on God, is it? It doesn't reflect good on our walk with Jesus Christ. We're totally discredited. Anything that the church might stand up and try to hold a line on as far as values, it's gone. It's gone because we've compromised on a really critical point. So the church was crippled. It couldn't deal with it. There was a line that had been, you know, not just blurred, but almost erased. And there were some who uh, feel that uh, perhaps there was some kind of a Gnostic distortion that was going on with them. The Gnostics believed that the body and the soul were separate, that they didn't blend together, and so whatever you did in the body didn't affect the soul. And so some people felt like in that time that they could just do whatever they wanted to with their body, but their soul was, so, was not affected. It was separate. Some people felt, uh, they felt like, well, since the body is sinful and the soul is godly, then I'm going to mistreat my body. And some of the monastic movements came out of that where they were punishing their body. You know, they wouldn't eat and they would beat themselves and they would punish themselves because the body was bad, but the soul was good. Other people looked at that and they said, well, nothing matters that I do with my body, so I'm just going to indulge everything. And any possible thing that that they felt like they wanted, that was fine because it was the body and the soul was separate. Paul's pointing out to them that our body is the temple of Christ. Our body does matter. And what we do with our body does affect our soul. It affects our spiritual life. So one of the problems that the Corinthian church had was, how do we resist the pressure of conforming to the immoral society that we live in? We live in a very similar situation that the Corinthians did. You know, pretty much whatever you want, you can do in the world you, there, there really is very little that anyone is denied. Um, and how do we live in that world? How do we live in this situation where we're interacting with 
everyone else around us, but we're trying to maintain that Christian lifestyle. We're trying to stay within the boundaries that God has set for us. And they have that problem too. You know, God has not called us to isolate ourselves. That's not the solution. There are some times when I very much would like to do that. I would be very happy to isolate myself. You know, don't want to really live in the world because it's, it's disturbing. But that's not, that's not what we're called to do as Christians. That's not how that works. God intended for us to interact with everyone else. He intended for us to be a witness to everyone else. He intended for us to act as, as Christians, to live our life as Christians in front of other people. So the Corinthians were having that problem. How you live a moral life in an immoral world. Um, you know, a biblical worldview sees intimacy as a gift that brings happiness and fulfillment to a marriage relationship. That's what it is. It's a gift for married people. It's not to be abused. It's not to be just thrown around and, and um, you know, treated as though you were eating ice cream or something, because it's very different. That, that is, it's a very different thing than anything else that you can do. The Gnostics didn't see it that way. They saw what they did with their body as being separate and not affecting our spirit. But, but that kind of thing very much does affect our spirit. Paul's attitude and his actions probably were offensive to people in that day. It's certainly offensive to people today. If you hold people accountable for, for how they're living their life and, and what they're doing with, um, you know, with their life outside of church, they don't like it. They very much don't like it. And, uh, and they're, they're offended by it. You know, first of all, Paul was shocked by that sin. He was shocked by that. Actually, I think we would be shocked by that too these days because there's even a boundary for, for us these days. Um, but we live day after day where immorality is accepted. And that's what was going on in that day. And um, we become influenced by our culture. And we become desensitized because we see so much. We see so much of it in, in the media. We see so much of it in our entertainment. It's just blatantly right out there. And we become desensitized to it. Pretty soon we don't even notice it. But uh, Paul was shocked by what was happening. He was then shocked by the attitude of the church, where they just shrugged their shoulders. You know, maybe even there, there were people who were laughing about it. Um, and the church's attitude grieved Paul. It grieved him that everyone was being so casual about that. You know, possibly there was, the problem was that, that they were being puffed up. Puffed up is a reference to pride. They were proud because they were Christians, and so that removed them from having to deal with those issues. Maybe that, maybe that was the problem. Um, maybe it was spiritual pride. Um, maybe in some way they were proud of what was going on. Spiritual pride has a way of blinding us to reality. You know, we can be so proud that we're Christians and that we're living a separate life that we don't even see the own fault, our own faults. That's easy to happen. You know, that's where having brothers and sisters who hold us accountable is a good thing. 
You know, we don't as Christians want to be judgmental, but being judgmental is very different from holding somebody accountable. You know, they would come to you and they would say, you know, this this thing, whatever it is, it looks really bad. You know, I hope that's not what's going on, but it, it looks bad. And bring it to our attention to hold us accountable. Um, but we can get so proud that, you know, pretty soon we're we're not seeing what's going on. You know, something like this might have been going on and and their response would, maybe you've even heard this sort of a response, but, you know, why as a church do you allow this kind of a thing to take place among your people? It's perfectly acceptable. And the response would be, well, you know, we're a seeker-sensitive church. We want to be sensitive to to other people. And, you know, I, I know that this this uh, guy is doing this, but he's a good guy, and he helps out a lot around the church. He's at every event. He's, he's, he's a worker, you know, and we need volunteers. We're always begging for volunteers. And besides that, I just don't think it's anybody's business what he does in his personal life. Have you ever heard anything like that? We hear that all the time, don't we? That's a very common response to think that what somebody does in their personal life is nobody else's business. I sort of feel that way too. I, I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of sympathetic towards that that approach because I, I'm so independent and uh, and I, I don't want to be I don't want to have things pressed on me from other places and so I kind of understand that. But you know that kind of thing causes us to stumble. That kind of attitude causes us to stumble because we don't hold each other accountable. The action that Paul was suggesting was really severe, really was. It was very severe. And it probably had created pain in the hearts of people who heard it, probably created pain in Paul's heart as well. You know, whoever this was that was doing this would have been friends with people in that church, wouldn't he have? You know, the people who I have for friends, they're in this church. I, I don't have many friends outside of the church. And so if, if, if I were put in the position where I was having to ask somebody to leave the church because of their behavior, that would be hard. That would be really hard because I, count them among the, uh, I would count them among my friends. And uh, Paul, that's what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, you have to put this brother out of your church if he doesn't stop. And that's what Paul was talking about. Paul was not going to let that church off the hook as far as that goes. He was saying, you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility for the behavior of your people. And if you have not taught them, then you need to teach them. But if they don't respond, you cannot continue to fellowship with them. The problem was, is that this guy was living two different life, two different, uh, two different visions for life. You know, in church, he was like a good upstanding Christian. But then in his personal life, he was not. And not only that, but everybody knew. And that is really not good as far as a reflection goes on the church. We, we have to think about that. You know, how do we come across for people in the world as Christians? Do they look at us and say, 
I can see that you're a Christian. I can just see that in the way you live your life and the way you treat other people. Or not. Or do they look at us and they say, wow, that guy's, that guy's a pastor, really? You know, sometimes I worry about that with myself. I'm like, you know, what do I say? How am I coming across? You know, I, I, I want to be, I want to be friendly with people, but I don't want to be pushy. You know, so I, I, it's hard. I worry about that. But sometimes I wonder about, it. sometimes I'm like, I kind of hope they don't know I'm a pastor, really. You know, because they might look at me and, and get really critical or something. And besides that, I get really self-conscious and it makes me really weird. So I don't, you know, there are times when I don't want to do that. But Paul's directions here, no doubt, were shocking. He said, you need to come together in the name of the Lord. You need to come together as Christians, not argumentative, not confrontational, but to hold your brother accountable. And, and, and he was very clear um, in the name of the Lord, in the power of the Lord, with the Lord's spirit there and, and handle this thing needs to be done in accordance with the Holy Spirit. That's, this is, this is really rare. There was a time I've heard about really, um, it was back, you know, before I was born and probably when I was very young, when churches really did this and they, they really did throw people out of the church for different things. These days hardly ever happens. Hardly ever happens. I don't know if that means that we're more loving and forgiving or if it means that we're less concerned with the integrity of our Christian life within the body of the church. I don't know which one it is. I, I, I can't tell. I don't know. We do want to be loving and forgiving. You know, we all have a past. I have a past. Everybody here has a past. Um, we all have things in our life where we would look back at those times and say, wow, I'm just, you know, I'm kind of glad nobody knows about that. Let's don't talk about that. I don't want to go there. You know, we all, we all have those dark times in our life when it was just ugly. And, you know, it may have been 20, 30 years ago. It's still ugly. It didn't change. It's it just, uh, 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 it's like a, it's a wound. It's like a great big old huge wound on our body where it's scarred over. You know, it's still ugly. It's sort of healed over, but it's not pretty. And so we understand that. We want to be loving. We want to be forgiving. But the fact is that, that there are some lifestyles that we need to put behind us. That needs to have been our past. Paul brings that up at one point. He says, he says this is what you were. This is what you were, but you're not that anymore. You've changed. You're different. And this is how it should be when the Lord comes into our life, is that certain behaviors, certain lifestyles, certain things, they're left behind. We don't do that anymore. And sometimes it means that you have to walk away from your friends. You have to get new friends. That may be the case. You have to get new places that you go. You have to get new things that you do. Because all of those things are a part of your past. And you need to put it behind you. And this is what Paul was saying is, you haven't done that here. You're continuing to live in a sinful way, even though you're coming together and you're meeting with Christians and you're, you're talking about, 
You're talking about the Lord. You're, you're, um, you're trying to grow spiritually, and yet you're hanging on to this, and you can't do that. It stunts you. It will stop spiritual growth. It may even stop, it may stop uh, uh, fellowship with the Holy Spirit. It could stop that because it's impediment. It comes in between it. Um, Paul, when he says there, um, deliver, uh, in verse 5, deliver such a one to Satan. Uh, sometimes we read that and we're like, oh, he gave, gave the guy over to Satan. But keep in mind that the world, Paul considered the world, worldly people, to be Satan's realm. And so basically he's just saying, put the guy out of the church. He can't fellowship with you as long as he's doing this. If he stops, then that changes. And that was Paul's goal. Paul's goal was not to totally punish the guy. Paul's goal was that the behavior would stop. And then he would be reconciled with the church. And then he would be living a godly life. And then what he's doing would be, would be uh, a witness to the world. So, and, and that's, you know, that's how we are when we come to the Lord and we have that life change. That's what happens. You know, you might meet a friend that you, know, you knew 30 years ago or 20 years ago. Or, you know, maybe even 10 years ago. And you meet them, and, and you talk, and he's like, wow, what happened to you? You really changed. That's, that's a godly witness. And, you know, when, when we do that as Christians, um, we don't really have to even say that much about what we're doing or what changed our life. You don't have to memorize verses. You don't have to memorize a little dialogue you know, to be a witness, to, to share the Lord with somebody. It's the change in your life. It's how things are different for you, and maybe for your family, maybe for your marriage. Things have changed because Christ is in your life, and that's the witness. That's what people see. That's what really matters. You know, it's easy to memorize something, go around, you know, uh, uh, confronting people at the gas pump or whatever, and, and you give them this little spiel, but that doesn't impress people. That doesn't impress people because it's just words. Anybody can say words, but if you have a changed life, if things are different for you because you know the Lord now and you didn't before, that's a witness. That's something people will pay attention to. And, and people will say, I want that. I want that. Because there are sometimes when people go to great lengths to get that change, you know, and they spend thousands of dollars on counseling or, or they go to the doctor and they get meds or, or whatever. And, and it's all superficial because it doesn't change the problem. The problem is in our heart. The Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ can change our heart. And then that changes our life. That's real change. And People would spend thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars to have that. But they can't. They can't, because it's not for sale. Is it for sale? You can't buy it. It's for free, but it requires a change. It requires a change. You have to give yourself to the Lord. You have to make Him Lord of your life. You have to put Him in charge. And then you have to let Him make the changes that He needs to make. 
Part of the problem is when we become a Christian or, you know, even for those of us who have been a Christian for a really long time, is that we hang on to things, don't we? We hang on to that. We don't want to give that up. Because that's something that's kind of special to us. Whatever it is, we just don't want to give it up. God's telling us, you need to change this. And we don't want to change that. We hang on to it. Maybe that's what was going on with this guy. You know, maybe that was something that he didn't want to give up. He knew it was wrong. Very, very, very probably. How would he not know it's wrong? But he just didn't want to give it up. We need to give everything to the Lord. We need to give everything over. You know, our problem is that we rationalize sin. We explain it away. Well, I know this is wrong, but, you know, that, 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 whatever the story is, you know, everyone's, everyone's got a story. Um, maybe, maybe if we're confronted by that, by our fellow Christians, maybe if we're confronted by it, maybe somebody, you know, what something somebody says, we'll open our eyes to it. And we'll say, well, I really don't have an excuse for that. You know, I maybe, maybe I can rationalize it away, but that's really not an excuse. That's something that's a problem. And that's something I need to deal with. And you don't have to deal with it alone. You're saying, I can't deal with that. You don't deal with it alone. You deal with it with Jesus Christ right by your side. He deals with it with your, um, with your approval, with your willingness. And, and of course, you have to put some effort into it too. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a team effort. It's a team effort. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to let Jesus handle all of this. In the meantime, I'm going to just keep on doing this and, and living my life how I want to. That's, that, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. You've got to put an effort into it too. Jesus will do the work, but you have to be there. You have to be willing. You have to be a partner. We're a partner in it with Jesus. He, he does most of the work, but there has to be a willingness on our part to let him work. And there are certain things that he's going to ask us to do. He's going to say, I need you to change this. I need you to start doing this. And we need to be willing to do it. You know, one of the hardest things for me is to give up my time. I don't want to give up my time. My time is mine. I, I recognize I have to work. And so some time belongs to my employer. And I recognize that, you know, some of what I do, like here at the church, that's God's time. So I, I, I'm not going to steal from God. I'm not going to take his time. But the time that's mine, my time, that's my time. I'll do with it what I want to do with it. And if I give it up, I give it up for a very good reason. I don't give it up frivolously because, you know, when you get to be my age, you realize that there's not a whole lot of time. Time is running out. Time is short. Time is precious. You want to redeem the time. You know, that's something I kind of, I knew it when I was younger. I knew it when I was 20, but I didn't really understand it. You know, but now at the age I am now, I get it. I get it. And, and I'm counting the minutes. So maybe God's asking me or you to give up some of your time. You know, uh, we have several studies here in the evenings. And uh, if you want to come to a study, whether it's Wade's or mine, you have to give up some time, don't you? You have to commit that time. And if you're really going to be, you know, involved in, in something like a study, 
you got to make a commitment to be there every week. Because if you're not, you, you just don't get the continuity of it. You get a little fellowship, sure. But, but are you willing to give up that time? That's a question that, you know, the God's confronted me with over the last several years. Are you willing to give up some of your time? Give up 15 minutes. Take 15 minutes to talk to this guy. Are you willing for that? Are you willing to change your schedule? Because, you know, most of us have a schedule in our mind, even if we don't have it on paper. Are you willing to change what your plans are for somebody because you met them and they see something in your life that they like? You might not never see them again. That, that might have been a divine appointment that you had right there. So are you willing to give up some of your time? That's, these, these are things that, that God does with us when we become Christians. It's a part of our Christian service is to give Him that time. To give up those things that, you know, maybe you have to give up a, a, something that you like to do in order to do that. And that's not easy. Because maybe whatever that thing is, is, is very important to you in some way. So it's possible that... Um, um, anyway, Paul, Paul said here that... Paul, Paul saw his action with this guy as redemptive. He didn't see it as being unkind. And that's a, that's a pretty hard thing. He was saying, put the guy out of the church. Um, but these people had to love the church, and they had to love their brother enough to be confrontational with him. Not to be confrontational and argumentative and hateful and then tack on the end in love. You know, I've, I've been in groups where that was done. You know, where what they did was done in a very hateful, argumentative, punitive way, and then they would tack on the end in love. That doesn't make it in love. No. However you approach somebody has to be done in love, has to be done with kindness. Because when it happens like that, even if, even if this guy here, even if he left the church, he would be welcomed back. And he knew he would be welcomed back. That's, being, that's talking in love. That, that, that is holding somebody accountable in a loving way. And, and we know how that's done. We know how it's done. We need, to, we need to be sensitive to other people's struggles because we have our own. We have our own struggles and we know how they are. So Paul was saying, be dependent on God. Um, you know, the, the real attitude, the real problem is that too often we want to say, wow, I just, I just want to get along. I just want peace. You know, I, I don't want to deal with difficult things. And to be honest, that's how I am, you know? Um, sometimes people don't understand that about me, you know? I, I just want peace. I just want, I, I just don't want to deal with problems. And so my tendency is to overlook things. And I overlook them too long until something becomes a huge problem. You know, if I'd have nipped it in the bud to begin with, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. But, but I let it go on too long. That's not, that's not dealing with your brother in love either, is it? Because if you love your brother and you knew what he was doing was an impediment to his spiritual growth, you're going you're gonna to say something, aren't you? You're, gonna, you're going to um, try to have a moment with him. 
You're going to say, look, bro, I love you, but I'm just wondering about this thing. You know, or, or this thing is a problem in the church. It's hurting the church. You know, sometimes we forget that. We look at the pastor and we say, well, the pastor is a shepherd. Well, some of you are under shepherds as well. So you can't just let yourself off the hook saying, oh, that's the pastor's problem. It might be your problem if you're the one who knows about it. If God put it on your heart to talk to somebody about, it becomes your problem. And we can't shirk our responsibilities as far as that goes. Paul felt like disciplinary action with this guy was, was necessary for the, for the well-being of the church. Um, you know, when we get to... Our problem today is that in the world, totally, really, absolutely anything goes. You know, I thought it was bad during the 70s. I grew up in the 70s. I was a teenager in the 70s. And, uh, you know, I, I looked at... And I grew up in a very legalistic church with very tight boundaries. And I looked at the world and I was like, wow, it can't get any worse than that. But it has. It has gotten worse. And everything now that used to be, tried to, people try to keep it hidden, everything now is right out in the open. Everybody knows about it and nobody cares. And so what happens with the church? The church lives in this world and little by little, our boundaries move out. And, you know, pretty soon, pretty, pretty soon there are no boundaries. You know, pretty soon the, the guidelines that God put in the Bible, in the Bible's word for us, as far as how do we live as a church, how do we live as Christians, we don't even pay attention to it anymore. Because we say that, uh, we say we want to be politically correct. We say, well, we don't want to offend people. We want to be a seeker-sensitive church. We don't want to offend people. And so pretty soon we're not, we're not keeping anything. We're not um, upholding anything that the Lord gave us. You know, there, there are some things that the Bible doesn't address. And so on those things, I believe we can take a judgment call with the help of the Holy Spirit. But there are other things in the Bible that are very clear, very specific. Things that we do, the way we do things in church, the way we live as Christians. We need to pay attention to those things. Those things are put there uh, for a purpose. God put them there for our protection, for one thing. And it's for our good that He wants us to keep those boundaries. But the church, as a, in general, will adjust itself. And you can see this with, with a variety of denominations. You know, we are a non-denominational church. We are not a part of, of any larger organization and uh, I like that. I like it that way. Because we don't have to answer to them. If we decide we're going we're gonna to follow what the Bible says, and we're not going to cross that boundary, we don't have to deal with, with anybody. Um, you've heard over the last few years that there are so many churches who have left their denomination because their denomination went in a certain politically correct direction, and, uh, and they're going to accept some things now that they didn't before. And, and it causes separations, probably for the good. Because I wouldn't want to be associated with that. You know, I know there's going to come a time when I'm going to answer to God. God's going to say, why did you say that was okay? You know, it's not just me that it affects, does it? 
because of, of where I am. If I say something to you, or if somebody is listening on the internet or the radio, and they say, well, Pastor Scott said it's okay, must be fine. I don't want that on me. I don't. And so I'm not going to say something's okay if it isn't. I want to be faithful to the Word. I want to hold to the Word. And as a church, we cannot let the boundaries move out. Qualifications of church leadership, behavior, all of those things. Um, You know, if we allow something to go on within the church because we don't want to rock the boat, we just want peace, which I have admitted that I'm guilty of. Um, But Paul clarifies his statement there. He told them, Paul told them, he says, don't associate uh, with anybody who is openly involved in sin. And so some of the people took that to mean that we cannot do business with people of the world or we can't interact with people of the world. Paul clarifies that. He says, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not saying that you cannot eat or associate with people who are sinners. Jesus did that, didn't he? Jesus went into some very unsavory places at times. Paul's not saying don't associate with people who who are like that. He's saying if they're in the church, if they're a part of your group, if they're a part of your body, and they're living a sinful lifestyle that just is flagrant and open, don't associate with them. Separate yourself from them. Um, Hold them somewhat accountable because you cannot approve of that kind of behavior going on. It's because we've made a commitment to the Lord, right? That's the difference. We've made a commitment as Christians. And so now there are things we cannot do. Other people, if they're unsaved people, they can do whatever. You know, the, um, God has not put those things on them that we have. God hasn't put those restrictions on them. But we have made a commitment to live as a Christian. We've made a commitment to live a God-honoring life. And that means that we have a higher standard, don't we? We have a higher standard that we have to meet. And if people are in the church, in our group, are not holding to that standard, then he said, separate yourself from them. Don't have fellowship with them. Paul was concerned that there were some people who saw the relationship, or they saw no relationship between their faith in Jesus and what they did with their bodies. And that's what he said at the beginning of the chapter, was your faith does not just involve only your spirit. Your faith also involves your body. And our bodies need to honor God just as well as our spirit does. We need to treat our bodies as a temple. We need to treat it as, as, as something that God has given us, something that we're grateful that God has given us, um, and treat it, treat it in a way that honors and blesses God. So in a few minutes, uh, I'm going to pray. Um, I'd like to give you an opportunity to make a commitment to the Lord if you have not ever done that. Uh, Before we do that, because I always forget, remind you across the hall here, we have refreshments afterwards, and uh, hopefully the parking lot is dry, 
seemed like it was better. I've slipped a couple times on the ice, and that hurt. So I don't want anyone to slip out there and fall. Be careful. So let's pray. 